players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Batterskull, Cauldra Complete, Up the Beanstalk, and many others, battling head-to-head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thurabian University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 111 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, Growth Through Failure. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week available in our supporter-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access, or join as a YouTube member for the same content on YouTube instead. As always, I'm Phil Gallagher, a.k.a. Thraben U. I am Brian Koval, a.k.a. Bosch and Roll. And I am Brian Cook of the Epic Storm. Shout out to all our new Patreon and YouTube members who are going to enjoy that pre-show and figure out what grinds my gears. I got into some of my pet peeves. I got a little little grouchy about it. I'm not going to lie. Those people include Kyle M, Brad T, Adam, Orbwalk, Kevin M, Joe A, and Negative Noise. Bunch of new ones. Appreciate you all and everyone who was here before that. Jump in there if you want access to that. That's patreon.com slash eternal glory or membership through YouTube. A friendly reminder, we are accepting sponsors for 2024, so if you're looking to get your word out there to 10,000 plus listeners per episode, contact us. You can do do so through theeternalglorypodcast.com. Let's get into this episode. For starters, uh, the the Bosch and Roll t-shirt, this is this is just me using our shared platform to promote my thing, but the, the Bosch and Roll I Ponder Keep t-shirt is available on coalesceapparel.shop right now, and I, I think it's freaking awesome. Uh, Cedric informed me that it is the best-selling player-themed pre-order that Coalesce has ever had. I, I'm very proud of that. Uh, I think it looks awesome. Go check that out. And now let's actually get into the episode. Here's where the inspiration for the episode comes from. I am... Just coming off Star City Pittsburgh SCG Con, in which I played the Modern 10K and the Legacy 5K events. And my record over the weekend was 11, 3, and 1. I made $225 over a $90 entry fee. So profit on the weekend. Did a lot more winning than I did losing. And I feel terrible about my performance that weekend. And here's why. Pittsburgh is local to me. I hosted a bunch of people for the event. It started Friday. And they all came in Friday morning and I spent a bunch of effort and time making sure everybody got in all right and made it to the venue on time. And I was coordinating arrivals and stuff. And things I was not doing was sleeving up a modern deck for the 10K the next day, even thinking about what my deck would be by the time everyone finished their ADH games or Pioneer RCQs or whatever it is that we had all had dispersed to do for that day. We were getting dinner. I think we sat down for dinner at like 9.30 and then got home close to 11 and then another car of people showed up and I had to stay up and show them where they would be staying. And then it was like 11.30. The event starts at 9 the next morning. I didn't even have a plan for a deck, much less anything ready to go. I was planning on playing Beans the whole weekend. I just 
couldn't find a list last minute. Do I cascade into these beans? Do I just cast the beans and then supplement them with the one ring? Do I play three time warps and a Jace wielder of mysteries? Or do I actually try to win with Omnath? Like there's too many questions on no testing. And then around midnight, I just slaved up stock Rakdos scam the deck. I was like, whatever, must be something about this deck. Let's run it. I ended up going six and two in rounds played in that tournament. Pretty good for zero reps. However, in round two, I made a punt that nobody who had played even one game with the deck previously would ever make. I got into this situation where my opponent had just made two rhinos with a crashing footfalls, and my hand was literally Fury Red Card Scam Spell, like one of the spells that brings the Fury back, so I can kill both rhinos and have a 4-4 Fury in play afterwards. Exactly what I need to do in that spot. But my brain, that was both tired and had zero reps, had built this neural pathway that was like, in order to scam, you need three cards of the same color. Because grief, you need a black card to pitch to grief, the grief itself, and the scam spell, which are all black. And then I'm just staring at my hand of Fury, Fable, and Mirror Breaker, not dead yet. And I'm like, oh, I need to draw a red card here. And then I drew for my turn. It was not a red card. And I was like, oh, shit, that was my window. I guess I'll play this Fable, the Mirror Breaker and try to hardcast Fury next turn. And then I played Fable the Mirror Breaker, and I hardcast Fury next turn, and by that point, my opponent had untapped their mana, and they just hardcast a subtlety and put me into straight to hell. And I, I noticed, like, as I was picking up my cards, like, wait, it was all there. What just happened? Why did that happen? How could that happen? It was my brain trying to compensate for some shortcuts for muscle memory that I didn't have, and compound that with being tired and just all these other mistakes, you know? 6-2, I prize split with my round nine opponent and, and ended up conceding them because they could place higher than me. And, you know, I made money. I doubled my entry fee, but I felt like shit about it because why would that happen with any preparation or even just going to bed on time? It would not have happened. So, Brian, could you just remind our audience, how long have you been playing competitive magic? Oh, my God. Uh, 20 years. And you, a 20-year veteran did something that you knew better not to do this this can happen to anyone so some of the advice that we're going to throw out in this episode today that you'd be like i know better than that sure you might know better than that but you might allow yourself to get into circumstances where you throw yourself off of your normal groove and you fall for some of these things right there were there were some factors like i said like i was dealing with people all day and stuff uh I was not serious about modern. Like Eternal Weekend is coming up this week. I've been thinking about Legacy and Vintage. I was honestly a little frustrated that there even was a modern 10k because I didn't want to think about modern, but I also wasn't going to skip a local 10k. You show up when that's the thing. Uh, but even all those things going on, I knew there was a modern 10k on Saturday. I, you know, watched some TV at some point this week. I played some video games at some point this week. There was not 45 minutes for me to think about my deck at any point before Friday night before the event. That's bullshit. I did end up in a squeeze because of other factors on Friday, but I didn't need to be doing that on Friday with just a little preparation. I could have been in bed an hour and a half before I was, and there's really no excuse for that. Then at the end of the modern event, at least like that day, like it was round two where I made that completely insane punt. And then I spent the day just like, well, Legacy is tomorrow. That's my real format. I like my deck. I am prepped for this. I'm going to be home in bed by 10. I'm going to have a full night's sleep, a good breakfast, all these things. And then 
I found out one of my car mates had fired a side draft right as the modern 10k was ending. It was like the middle of round nine on the clock. And I like texted him and I was like, hey, uh, I'm ready to go. He's like, oh, I'm drafting. You know, we hadn't discussed like when we're going to leave or anything. I'm not mad at him for doing these things. Uh, And we ended up being there two and a half additional hours. Uh, He drafted his entire draft. He ended up, it was single elimination and he won his first two rounds and it took an hour and a half in this untimed pre-release day side draft for the other side of his draft bracket to finish. It was just two people taking their sweet old time, shooting the breeze, playing real slow. It was an untimed round. No judges were on them. Like nobody cared about the side draft from a tournament perspective. It's just, it was one of those, you know, here's the bracket report when you have a result thing. 90 minutes, we stood there waiting for his finals round. And he was like, I'm just going to offer the split. uh, And we got to get out of here. And his opponent was like, no, I don't want to split. I'd like to play the draft. So then he had to play another 30 minutes of magic. It was, we had plans to meet someone at their home. Like one of my local friends was hosting a dinner party and it was my plan to be there at 7.30. We got there at 9.30. We ate some food. We were polite enough, spent just enough time there to be to not be like, show up, eat your food, and leave. Got home once again, close to 11.30. Had to get everyone settled in. I went to bed after midnight. Then the legacy events happened the next day. Uh, I had a good breakfast. At some point, I was 4.0. It was the early afternoon. I hadn't eaten since breakfast. And I was like, I am hungry now. I could like scarf some chicken tenders right now from the convention center, or I could go to 5-0 if I win my next round and have two hours just to have a good meal, leave the convention hall during my ID rounds. I did it. I played out a skin of my teeth. Awesome match. Went to 5-0. Uh, I'm at my physical limit at this point, and then I get paired down. My opponent can't draw. And then we're a feature match, so there's a little delay to get started. We have a judge call. It adds a few minutes, and then we go fully to turn five of turns where my opponent defeated me on turn five of turns. So I'm now like an hour plus past my physical limit that I was at when this round started. My Because we were the last ones to finish with a time extension, as soon as we were done, Judge put it into melee for us. The round was paired and my round seven opponent was like, hey, do you want to draw? Like before I even picked up my cards from that round. And I was like, Jesus Christ, yes, thank you. And I just like agreed to draw, left the building, went to a restaurant across the street, and ordered food and then I was sitting there eating and I was like I should actually look at the standings and I realized I had very likely drawn myself into ninth at that point where I I can do tournament math it is standard practice I don't think I've ever in my life agreed to a draw without looking at the standings why did I do it now it's because I was tired I didn't take care of myself I was feeling bad physically I should have just had that snack in round four just in case or and, and all these spots where it's like you could say like, oh, of course my opponent would top deck to beat me in round five or turn five of turns when all I needed was the draw that we were about to get anyway. Or why didn't my deck draw one more removal spell or this blah, blah, blah. Like, why didn't I eat lunch? Why didn't I go to bed? Why didn't I tell the judge after round six, hey, my match just finished. I need a minute to splash some water on my face and look at the standings. Why didn't I tell my friend last night, hey, you got to Uber over to the dinner thing. I don't have two hours to stand here. Like there's so many things I could have done that I just didn't. I ended up ninth place, top 16, another hundred bucks. I'm not happy with that. I doubled my entropy, but I'm very not happy with that. That's kind of the the space where we're coming from because we've talked about tournament prep and, and all these things before on the pod. Very fresh in my mind with two eternal weekends coming up. I'm getting on a plane in 
about 12 hours from the time of this recording to fly to Prague and play in two Eternal Weekends. I'm being sponsored by 3 for 1 Trading. They're awesome. They're bringing me out there. And I don't want to repeat these mistakes when a company has bet on me financially to fly across the world and represent them. And I'm coming off this weekend where I just couldn't be bothered to go to bed. And I ended up just a little short in both main events of doing extremely well and completely my own stupid fault. So that's what we're talking about here. There is a small thing that I would like to mention, and I'm I'm sure we all know this or whatever, but it's something that I've started being really conscious about since becoming a parent, which is time is super valuable. And I'm sure Brian knows this, like he's an experienced veteran, 20 plus years. But one thing that I've stopped doing, and it doesn't really matter how much I like the person or not, I don't split cars anymore unless it's a super long trip. Like I've driven to Philly by myself, DC by myself. DC is seven hours from Syracuse just because I want the freedom to pick up and leave whenever I can to get back to my family. Sometimes like that extra, like for example, Syracuse to Philly is a tank of gas. A tank of gas is 30, 35 bucks. I will spend $30 to not have to wait on somebody else. Like that is just worth it to me. So like, I don't have somebody else weighing me down anymore. And Brian's story, he didn't necessarily have to have a person that he carpooled with or whatever brian chose to probably because he really likes this person and that's a nice thing to do but you can also just decide hey uh, i want to be able to get out of there whenever i'm ready i'm going to drive on my own and that's another option for those of you who listen to the supporter exclusive pre-show you've probably realized how much like we talk about our time and how busy we are like if you can put a a monetary value on on your time you know whether that's play testing time, extra time spent travel time waiting on people like uh, it, it adds up very, very quickly. Right. And in that position where my tournament was over and my friend was still in like pack two of his draft, that situation, like I'm coordinating multiple things. Like not only am I on my own timetable where I'm trying to succeed in tomorrow's event, I'd like to be in bed. Like I said, we had an invite to somebody's home where they had cooked food for a group of people and that food was just sitting there getting cold for hours waiting for us to show up that person also wasn't mad about it it was kind of a like come and go as you please rolling invite kind of thing it wasn't like we sit down and we eat at a table together but some of the food was literally cold when i got there i I took a bite and i was like can i use your microwave like that's where we were at that point because i'm the local host I was coordinating with another person who was like, hey, what's your dinner plans? And I was like, we're going to this house. There's an invite for you if you want to come. And he was doing his own thing. And I told him like, hey, I'm done with the event. Come on over. So he was standing with me for those whole two hours too. And my girlfriend is at home waiting for the go ahead to meet us at this dinner party. So for two hours, she's like, hey, I'm dressed. Is it almost time? When should I head out? And I'm coordinating three people plus watching my own time drip away. You know, my friend who's in the draft, he wasn't happy about it either. The first thing he said, and by the way, if you're if you're listening to this episode, house guest, I'm not mad at you. I'm not putting this on you. It's just like a series of shitty things that added up and you get to be a podcast episode for it. That person, when he got in the car, he was like, what the hell was that? Why? Why did that draft take so long? Why didn't my opponent want to split the finals? It's dinner time. Why would anyone want to just grind it out for another hundred prize wall tickets? That's just... And it's like, well, you fired a draft at seven o'clock at night. Like what? He, he has sworn off uh, SCG Con and general Magic Con side events now. He realized that the eight person win some prize wall tickets model 
is not worth the time of a serious person. And I am bummed out that I had to learn that lesson with him because I already knew that. I have not joined one of those in years, but I was just on the hook at the time that he learned it. But at, at the same time, like I could have been like, dude, I got to go. Like I, I got my friend standing here. I got my girlfriend waiting at home. Like you can Uber over to the house and then I'll drive you home from there. Made up with us when you're done. And that would have solved everything. But I did not advocate for myself in that way, in that spot. And I didn't need to be a martyr. Uh, like I could have just done an adult responsible thing. And my friend who was a responsible adult would have understood. It's not a big deal, but I just stood there for two hours like an asshole instead. So in terms of a take home message for our audience here, notice how Brian is not complaining about the things that happened to him as if he had no agency over it. Like he is he is owning these mistakes that he made that led to the situation that he was in. Like you will you will hear, hear people often say things like you make your own luck, right? Like the decisions that you make lead to you being in the situations where things can go well. Well, the inverse is true, too. If you make a bunch of small, poor decisions over time, they can lead to you being in a negative situation like he found himself in this weekend. Brian mentioned that he was the host. And one thing that, you know, it's a lot of stress to invite a bunch of people into your home and, you know, do things with all these people. One thing that I really like to do to events where I am driving is pack a bunch of trail mix in my bag, some snacks, fruit, all that stuff. And then I'm a soda drinker. I end up buying like a six pack of soda for the weekend. I'm just like, I have my caffeine. I don't drink coffee. Oh, and then I have my snacks. I get really nervous when I fly to events. I am flying to eternal weekend in Pittsburgh. And I'm just like, I'm not going to be able to bring a bunch of trail mix on the plane and like a six pack of soda or whatever. And I'm just like, I hope there's like a convenience store near the event site or stuff like that. And I, I get like a tiny bit of anxiety just like thinking about that. I'm like, I really don't want to be hungry in the event hall. Like, I hope there's like a bodega somewhere or just something because I don't want to be hungry during those tight winning in rounds or off focus or not caffeinated. I promise you we have grocery stores and uh, if you need if you need a run uh, I can just go to the grocery store and bring it to the hall on day 1 just just throwing that out there but I do share that anxiety flying my backpack I'll 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 zoom out from my backpack for a second I'm a person who will prepare today for a problem that might happen at some point in the future just in case uh, like I'm not like a doomsday prepper or needlessly neurotic or obsessive or compulsive or anything, but it's just like my partner lives her life just kind of like she owns one phone charger. She t unplugs it from her bedroom at night or in the morning and she puts it in her backpack and takes it to work with her and plugs it in there. And then when we're watching TV, she brings it down to the basement and plugs it in there. And then she brings it up to her bedroom. And I'm like, I just have four phone chargers. There's one in every room that I spend time and there's one in my car. And then there's another one in my backpack next to my portable battery, which I keep charged at all times, just in case. You know, she's making it work. I, I don't think she's wrong in her life, but that is how I plan. My car has a first aid kit in it and it has like a pocket knife in it or and like, you know, tools or things that you might need in a spot where you might need them. And when I fly to events, you obviously like can't have a multi-tool in your pocket. A TSA won't let that through. Like my car's not out in the parking lot at the event if I like need a change of clothes or like a jacket or a blanket or things that I just store in my car just in case. Like Boy Scout mentality of just, you know, be prepared. I'm, I usually am. And it stresses me out when I'm less than fully immersed in my own environment. So I, I do hear the thing you just said. 
I'm definitely someone that like overpacks sometimes for events. Like if I'm bringing a carry on and it might be the summertime, I'm bringing a hoodie. I've been to enough magic events where I know that convention centers are freezing. Like, and people are like, oh, why would you bring a jacket? Like that's strange. It's 95 degrees out or whatever. But like after a while, you just know enough or like I keep an umbrella in my bag too, because I mean, I've gone to events where it's downpouring, my backpack gets drenched and I don't want to potentially ruin all of my thousands of dollars worth of cardboard. So like, eventually you just realize that you should have all these things and you should prepare like i think you're on the right i don't think you're wrong at all like you should be prepared for all these things and i think about that stuff in advance as well so i went to a cedh tournament this weekend i i think as a generality cedh players are not used to the tournament experience like they might have plenty of experience within their own format but they are like really not used to these things. So for example, I, I was rooming with someone. I like grabbed my rain jacket, threw it in my bag, kind of looked at them. They were, you know, just kind of rolling out of bed at a slower pace than I was. And I was like, hey, just remember, it's probably going to rain today. And, uh, you know, pack accordingly. And they were like, oh, I had no idea. I hadn't looked at the weather. And I was just like thinking to myself, like, I have thousands of dollars worth of cards. Like, I bet you do, too. Why didn't you know this? My my backpack has like a, ni- a nylon or something bag that I can throw over the backpack in case of a serious downpour. Like I, I would like to protect my my legacy cards. Thank you. Yep, good call. Uh, so I I did just moments ago talk about my partner's sort of chaotic existence of uh, just having one phone charger. And when we go on vacation, she's like, can I use the phone charger? And I'm like, what do you mean the phone charger? She's like, yeah, you brought a phone charger, right? I was like, yeah, where's yours? She's like, you were going to bring one. So I I didn't. And like, that's, that is like. That is insane. <laughs> yeah. Her her plan is frequently to rely on my plan. And uh, she's like, I knew you were going to bring one. Why would I need one? So like, there is a logic to that. But also she's the one who's like, like just before we started recording, uh, I w- she's like, how's your, how'd your day go? Did you do everything you needed to do? I was like. I still got a pack for Prague, but I did everything else. And she's like, what's the weather in Prague? I was like, I don't know. She's like, how far is your hotel from the venue? I don't know. These are things that I'm going to look up. I should look up. We all have different skills and having a comprehensive skill set of things you could plan for or at least be aware of will save you from problems for sure. So here here are some things that I kind of noticed over the weekend out of at my own event and that I've seen at other events. And like we're already talking about phone chargers, but like phone chargers and portable battery packs are the first one. Like in this modern age, your phone is how you're going to get your pairings. Your phone is how you're going to look up your opponent if you have time to do so to see what sort of decks they might have played in the past. It's how you are going to find lunch. It's how you are going to navigate to the venue. If you don't have your phone charged, you have to physically go to a pairings board or watch a TV that is scrolling with pairings. And you might arrive just as the round begins instead of having comfortably been at your seat for two or three minutes already like shuffled up, good to go. Maybe you've already mulliganed. And if you are playing a grindy control deck or things get weird and bogged down in the matchup, those two to three difference might minutes might be the difference between a win and a draw. Phil, you mentioned something there that I know that people have been doing for years, and that's Googling your opponents 
When I play Magic Online, one of the first things I do is I type my opponent's username into my spreadsheet, and then I go copy-paste Google at MTGO at the end. And I'm like, okay, they play this. For some reason in paper, it's just not a part of my game plan. I'm just like, eh, I'll figure out what they're doing and beat them anyway. But like, that's not a practical attitude. Like, I know that you gain a significant edge by Googling. And I even tell people that I'm coaching the same thing. I'm like, hey, when you're playing Magic Online, there's an 85% chance that your opponent has already searched your name. You should do the same to them. Uh, But for some reason, this is like a big mental hurdle that I have in paper where I'm just like, eh, I'll just sit down and, you know, play my match. But I should be doing that. So a thing with it in paper, though, is like you do not always have the luxury of time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the way the rules used to work is until you sit down for your match, you are allowed to do something like be on your phone. But once you sit down for your match, you are no longer allowed to, you know, do a Google search or whatever. That so assuming you get your pairings quickly, you can sometimes have time to do that, depending on, you know, how far you have to physically navigate to site. Uh, it's very different when you're at like a GP size venue where you might like have to look at your pairings and then go, OK, I've got two minutes to get to this table that is across the room. Like I got a boogie. Right. And another thing, it, like just the the comfort, the starting the match in the right headspace, like uh, a lot of apps will push pairings to your phone if they're not just already a, a phone app. Like I have like MTG Melee, you could have set up that it actually texts you your pairings in addition to being able to refresh the app and see them. That's just another layer. And I've noticed that sometimes the text goes out a few seconds before the pairing site actually updates. I'm frequently just already moving to my seat before anyone knows pairings are up. Sometimes it doesn't matter, but sometimes it does. Like I want to sit on the side of the table where I can see the clock without turning my head around. There are there's going to be like spacing issues in the venue where the clock has to go somewhere and it's going to be behind someone at some point. And I want to be able to just look at that over my opponent's shoulder without making a big deal out of it, rather than turning my head around or asking how much time is left. I want to be sat down with my deck or with like my mat laid out and all my, my life pad and everything set up as soon as possible. Like I don't want like welcome to round two and I'm just like jumping into the chair because then I'm going to be all scrambled. The time's already running. And I'm not going to be thinking as clearly. Like I, I want that sort of home seat advantage. I want the lay of the land. I want to be fully comfortable before I have to start making strategic decisions. So CEDH players, this one is for you. In CEDH, you have a whole bunch of mulligans that you are probably going to go through. The very first thing I say to every single pod that I sit down at is roughly 15% of CEDH games end in a draw. Let's not have this be us. Shortcut things when you can. Play quickly. Poke someone if you think they're slow playing. After I gave this speech, I watched opponent look at their cards, put them face down on the table. I asked them, are you mulliganing? They said, I don't have to say that yet. I'm waiting for the other person. And while that is technically correct, they sat there, waited for two minutes to wait for person in position three to make their mulligan decision. And then without looking at their hand said, I'll mulligan now. And it was like, cool, you have wasted a lot of our time. You will waste more if you mulligan again. What you are doing is technically legal, but you are not putting yourself in your best position to win your own event. On a similar topic, I've played in a couple CDH events at this point. You know, the 
pair pretty quickly. The rounds are anywhere between 75 minutes and 90 minutes, which seems long for a 60 card player. But when you're playing in CDH, it's four players time for one game and it ends up going pretty long. Well, sometimes somebody will play a card like, oh man, I love that altar. Oh, who did this or whatever. You've got to nip that very quickly. Like, I don't care who did your altar. We got to go. And sometimes in 60 card magic, that happens too, where somebody be like, oh, I think I was at that event your playmat had. And all of a sudden you're starting mulligans. You look up and you You've lost five minutes on the clock. I play Dark Ritual on all of my decks. That's usually not a problem for me. I don't know. Like, you still gotta just be like, hey, man, I, I respect you and I respect our time. I'm just trying to get this match done. We can chat after. Yeah, this just this past weekend at Star City Pittsburgh, my my round five, that 5-0 that determines if I, you know, get, get launch or not, or so I believe, uh, I was paired against a local person who I have traveled with. We are friendly, if not friends. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We don't need to label it. But, you know, a person who I like and have spent weekends on the road with, we were going into our game three and somebody else walked up. And although we are in our town, we are two friends playing. A third friend walks up. It, it feels low key, but also like we're playing as far as we know, a top eight winning in right now. And the clock is running. My opponent, what's going on here? Uh, we're going into game three. First of all, I don't even like that. If you're not in the match, shut the front door. Seriously, you do not speak to players in a match unless it's, hold on, there's a problem. I'm going to call a judge. That's the only thing you should ever say to players in a match. Seriously, shut up. But okay, that aside. Here, uh, I'm going to butt in just ever so quickly. The reason why is because disqualification is the thing that is on the line there. If you say one thing in any capacity that has the ability to influence the match, like, you are out of the event. And you potentially also hurt your friend if it is viewed as outside assistance. Oh, well, I mean, that too. But even just like, hey, who's up here? Like, oh, I'm up a game. Shut up. That is none of your business. Maybe it was just a one second of time, but you've wasted one second of time that does not belong to you. There are two people who need to finish a match. Wait, you'll get the answer later. Like, how does this affect your life? Are you going to like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't even, I can't even think of a, an absurd example where like, if it's game two versus game three, it meaningly affects the life of someone outside the game. Shut up. It'll be over when it's over is my response to that. But getting back to that story, like a third party came over and it was just like a, what's going on here? We're going into game three. It's just like, okay. And I had like shuffled and presented my deck. And I realized that my opponent was starting to engage in conversation and wasn't looking at me anymore and was looking at this third party and shuffling and just sort of chatting. And I just said, respectfully, we're on the clock. And he was like, oh, shit, sorry, and presented his deck. You got to do that. First of all, that situation should not have happened. That third party should not be there. My opponent should not have been engaging in a conversation. If those things do happen, and they do because there are different levels of engagement with competitive magic, uh, and people know or don't know, or they think that's okay, or they know that it's not, or whatever. But like, you will have that spot. Just saying, like, respectfully, the clock is running. Can we keep it moving? We got we got twelve minutes to play a game three here. You're not an asshole for doing that, and you are leaving money on the table if you don't. There's been twice in my life where I've gotten paired against a control player who I will not name, or control players. They force me to go through my combo turn multiple times, and they're like, I want to make sure you're counting storm and mana right, and we literally backtrack the entire thing, and then we go to a game three, 
and then these control players do not kill me before the time is out and they have expected concessions it's like well you made me recount my mana three times for you i showed you my storm count multiple times i have trackers out there like i think people sometimes in competitive events take time for granted and one thing that i think brian is very aware of and great at is managing the clock in a legal way i'm not saying that brian's like trying to scum anyone or anything that's not that at all but brian is very aware of the clock and it shows i think primarily because of the types of decks that brian typically plays where clock is such a key part and i think that's a part of the game that i really admire about brian yeah and that's just part of the game whether you're coming from magic online or arena or from casual environments or wherever you're coming from the 50 minutes that the two players share is a resource and is part of the game and if like my doomsday opponent and apparently this was in the comments uh in uh, in, like a reddit discussion or something about our recent episode where he said 60 seconds is too long and you should be calling a judge or prompting your opponent it is 60 seconds that's 1 50th of the whole match that we get. You don't get that for one decision. I don't care if you're resolving a doomsday pile. Maybe you should have practiced your deck if you can't solve this that in the, an appropriate amount of time. It is strategic advantage for the person who has more reps, has better muscle memory, can make their decisions quicker. That is that is a skill tester in competitive magic. If I have an opponent, Dark Ritual, Doomsday, and then just like look at the pile, like they're reading cards for the first time, I'm calling a judge. Like if you fuck up your pile, because you don't get seven minutes to resolve it, that's on you. Get better with your deck. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, This is a competitive environment. It is one of the biggest differences between Magic Online and Paper. When you're playing on Magic Online, that 25-minute clock, that is their prerogative to use however they would like. Do I like sitting there while my opponent takes eight minutes to resolve the Doomsday while I'm recording? Absolutely not. But if I'm not recording, I'm going to go get up. I'm going to go get some pretzels. I'm going to use the bathroom, whatever. But there is... There are differences between Magic Online and Paper, and you just have to recognize that they're not different games. They're just almost like different subversions in a way. Yeah, and I have told that to my coaching clients all the time. It is very common when we're reviewing game footage together where I'm like, uh, can you explain this decision to me? And they're like, I can't. Watching it now makes no sense at all. I'm like, okay, can you try to recreate where you were uh like uh be charitable like why did this make sense to you at the time even if it doesn't make sense to you now and they're like i literally can't i think i was just worried about the clock and did something wild and i'm like okay you have 18 minutes left on your clock what are you worried about and they're like i don't know man i'm just i'm so worried about timing out and i'm like it's magic online you should be milking that clock here so you can make the right decision quicker in paper If you're playing like it's paper on Magic Online, then you're not building the correct pathways that you can then accelerate when you're under a real shared round clock. And I actually had a a session like that last week, and coaching client messaged me like two hours after our session was over. He's like, hey, you're going to be really proud of me. I won game one and then timed out. And I was like, good job, actually. Like, no no shade. Uh, You won the game. Because... The person was just losing with 15 minutes left on their clock because they were worried about the clock. Doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, use the clock. Spend 12 minutes building that doomsday pile. Do it. That's what this resource is for. But you can't show up in paper and expect that to fly. So another thing that I want to just briefly talk about is supplies. Like, make sure you have what you need to be successful for the day. Um, I am really good about having my supplies. I am a double and triple checker. 
but this weekend I changed something from my normal routine, and I forgot my dice. And that's something I have not done, I think, maybe ever since I started playing Magic. And I was like, it's no big deal. I will buy dice the morning of. I got to the venue, which probably had 20 different vendors. Nobody had dice. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? And I had to run around, find a friend, and scramble for dice. And while maybe dice is not the thing you forget, like, how many of you are going to an event intending on getting cards the morning of like what do you do if it is a critical card for your deck either main deck or sideboard that you have not prepared in advance like set yourself up for success by being ready before the event classic scg grinder phil shows up no pen no paper no dice oh can i borrow a sheet you roanoke people honestly the like this this is actually something uh, i'll let you all in on my life a little bit me and my friends we rip mercifully or mercilessly in our private group text on anyone who's like, hey, anyone have three copies of Force of Will for tomorrow? What do you, what have you been doing for the past week? Where where are your Force of Wills? Did you register a legacy tournament without a source of cards? Uh, who has just like three extra Force of Wills? We tear into people like that all the time. And it's, it's so stressful. It stresses me out just seeing those tweets, seeing those Facebook posts, seeing those whatever. I do not bring anything to the event that I'm not sure I'm going to use. I, I have like a trade binder that just fits in my backpack in like this weird little pouch that nothing else goes in. If I didn't randomly open the card you need in a draft, no, I don't have it. You should have asked me 48 hours ago. I would have brought it for you specifically. One of my most common things said to one of my friends is... You should ask me yesterday. Like, I, I'm at the event now. I would have brought it, but no, I don't have it with me just in case you needed it. Brian, you just touched upon something that I've changed about my routine. I used to be, these are the 75 cards I'm bringing. That's it. Like If it's not in my deck box, I'm not doing it. I've changed that because sometimes you go to events and you buy cards. Well, if you're buying cards at an event, maybe you wanted something for that CD each deck of yours or a modern deck. You cannot put those cards in your deck box. Brian, you're a judge. You know this. Uh, if you have cards that are not a part of your deck in your deck box, bad things happen, i.e. game losses, stuff like that. Shirt pockets don't always keep your cards safe. So I've started carrying a small 4x4 binder with, you know, mainly just for card purchases, but also like I've started using a couple altars, my Japanese foil LEDs. I'll keep my spare set in there, that sort of thing. But you really, I don't like bringing cards to events. I'm not there to loan you cards. I don't want to be hassle about it. Just, I don't know. Uh, it irks me. Yeah, there was a time where I was younger and dumber and I had a smaller collection, but still pretty stacked. And I had one of those giant like D-ring binders that you use for like college reports. And it was just full of my legacy cards. And that thing was in my backpack anytime I went to a legacy event. I think the first time I met Jarvis Yu, it was because a friend was like, my friend Jarvis needs a moat. Do you have a moat on you? And I was like, of course I do. And just pulled out this giant 20 pound binder, which I had to carry. And it in, it increases risk because I have all these expensive cards that I don't need on my back. Once in a while, you get to do something like make a new friend with Jarvis Yu because you have a moat on you. But most of the time, it's like, no, why would I have a moat? And that's a perfectly reasonable answer. Having like a secondary box to keep card purchases in or promos that might be handed out or whatever, that I consider that like being prepared 
with smart packing, not extra stuff necessarily. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like, no, I didn't bring an extra deck or like Sunday of a con where it's like, hey, there's a modern RCQ I didn't know about. Did you bring a modern deck? No. Why would I have a whole modern deck that I could just hand you? If the only reason I would have brought a modern deck is because I'm in this event already. All right, I'm going to share something that's happened to me multiple times at this point in my life where I maybe didn't make day two of an SCG or something. And somebody will come up to me and be like, hey, do you want to swap decks today? I can't imagine the world in which I say yes. Like, I am never, ever, ever going to swap decks with you for a day. One, I don't want to play your death and taxes deck. And two, I'm not handing over the epic storm to you. Get out of here. So to give some perspective about like how seriously I take this. I messaged someone like a week and a half before the event that I just played in. And I was like, hey, I'm considering switching decks. What do you have available? And we had a conversation and like a week and a half prior to the event, I had like made some selections about like how I was going to get my cards for that event. And that was settled. And I at like a week or more than a week above before the deadline felt like that was cutting it close and that that was stressful. Yeah, I want a full two-week window to just make sure that my card order can get here. Uh, I have sitting next to me on my table that I will show to the camera now, a playset of Soul Rend. Have you read Soul Rend in your life? I mean, vintage players probably have. I read it this week for the first time. Yeah, it's a Doomblade that only kills white creatures, and then you draw a card at the beginning of the next upkeep. And it's just this fringe player. It kills like initiative creatures and Sphinx of the Steel Wind out of Luris decks. And that's like the only place it, it ever sees play. I own four of them. They're right here. They're in my hand because I saw it in a list and I thought I might need that for Eternal Weekend. And I just placed an order. I have these now. Uh, they're going to go in a binder. Unlikely to be sleeved up anytime soon, but that's my process. And going back to the top of this episode, when I said I was like sitting there late at night trying to figure out what modern deck I was going to play. The control list that I liked had three time warps in it. And I checked my collection tracker and learned I don't own any time warps. I know I did at some point. I don't know where they went, but I don't own time warps. By the way, I have a collection tracker. I spent zero time digging for time warps in my collection that I didn't have. I knew right away that this might be a stress point and confirmed that it was. And rather than sleeve 72 cards and show up that morning trying to buy three time warps from vendors before 9am rolls around, I just decided not to play that deck because I'm not going to live that life. I just chose a deck instead that I knew I had all the cards for. In terms of other just like preparation and basic tournament skills, I think I was one of three players taking physical notes on pen and paper during the entire tournament that I played in, at least of the players that I played against. And I probably fixed a dozen life total discrepancies because of that. Um, at the CEDH events, it's very common for someone to throw a phone in the middle of the table and track life totals like that. And while that's super cool and convenient, those things kind of are very easy to misclick on or to make an error on of some nature. And I was just surprised that like nobody else is taking notes on like revealed information, what things are happening, the number of mulligans players have taken. Like, I'm sitting there going, like, M, M, K for keep as people are mulliganing, so I'm making sure they are actually mulliganing to the correct number, and I just saw nobody else putting in that little bit of extra effort to do that sort of thing. This is tangentially relevant. I had a coaching client a couple weeks ago who we were talking about a deck that he was working on, and then he was like, I need help with the sideboard. I was like, okay, in what way? What, what do we need to work on here? 
And he was like, I played casual and then I played arena and I've never had to build or use a sideboard before. And you know, this, this person makes mythic most months, just grinding best of one on arena has, has no uh, feel or, or history with the, the science or art of sideboarding. If we have players who picked it up on arena during COVID or whatever, which is a large part of the population, and now they're stepping out into tournament play, especially CEDH, where they spice up their EDH deck, and then uh, that that's a full casual pipeline. Why would they know to take notes about written information? Why would they write down life totals when someone's phone is just in the middle of the table? Why would they do that? And the answer is, you know, they, they just don't know. They haven't been in a spot where someone says, I have you at 12. It's like, well, I have myself at 14. And then you have the paper trail to back it up. Like that, that's game changing in a lot of situations. I had one of my matches literally by, be decided by a single point of life. All right. Another thing I recommend is like, please time your travel so that you can be successful at the event. Um, I think in the tournament that I played, five players missed the players meeting and hence were dropped from the tournament for not attending the players meeting. Like it was a sold out event in advance and some people on standby got to play in the event because other people just did not leave enough time for their flight or Uber or travel or whatever. Yeah, I think every town has a person who magic events. Uh, there's a joke uh, here in Pittsburgh. It's Adam time. Uh, I know up in uh, upstate New York, Kevin Jones time was a known thing. There are people who just cannot organize their lives in a way to be at the event at the time that it starts. Here locally, it's like uh, Chris time also. Chris and Adam are our two locals here in Pittsburgh. They know who they are. It, but our like Saturday win a duel frequently is like supposed to start at 11 a.m. And it's like 11.15 and the store owner will be like, hey, Chris is on his way, everyone. And we're just sitting there. You're lucky if the, the store or the TO can work with that. Even if they are working with that, it's just disrespectful to your time. Everyone's time. It is disrespectful to every single person who showed up on time. I think those people should just unilaterally receive game losses, like pair the round. Like, hey, if someone calls and says, hey, I'm 10 minutes out, two minutes before your event. OK, uh, you could show up, but we are starting the round on time. Are you OK with the game loss? It's like, OK, you get there. And if they can 2-0 you from there, they're back on the board. And if not. They get what they deserve. Wake up earlier. I don't know why we're enabling this shit. I, I showed up to a, a pre-release that was scheduled to start at, I don't know, let's say it was scheduled to start at six. Like I called, asked the time, they said six. I arrive and it's six, it's six, ten. And I'm like, when are we starting? And the store owner was like, 6.30. And I was like, I called and you said it was six. And it's like, yeah, we have to say that so everyone actually shows up on time. No, no, like, please just tell me the time that the event starts and I will arrive for that time. Like, yep, I, I uh, unfortunately come from a family where my parents believe that if you need to be somewhere at six and it's 10 minutes away, you can walk out your front door at 550. And that's just the baseline plan just accounts for nothing and assumes that everything will go on time and nobody will be one minute late getting out the door and there won't be a red light between you and the destination, I grew up in just like a state of anxiety that we were always late to everything. And now as an adult, I am early to everything because boy, do I hate that. I'll, I will absolutely throw my girlfriend under the bus here. 
because I am the, all right, we said we will be there at six. I am planning to arrive at six. And she is of the opinion that if she says six, six or so is fine. Like 615 is fine. Like it's very casual and it, it drives me insane because like we just have that difference of, of, of attitudes and, and values towards like time in particular. And she's always like, why are you stressing out? It doesn't matter. I'm like, no, we had an agreement for what time we would go. Like, we need to respect that. Going back to the discussion about being late for matches and getting game losses and all that stuff. I have a story that I absolutely love, which is uh, I'm with a friend. We're both playing in GP Louisville. They're playing Countertop Miracles, Terminus, all the good stuff. Their round like six opponent shows up. They're both four and one. And the opponent's late. Uh, the judge is like, you're going to get a game loss. And the opponent goes, ah, that's final 2-0. Just like the sheer confidence that they're going to 2-0. My friend is playing Countertop Miracles, arguably the best deck in the format. It turns out that that opponent's on Elves. Back then, there was a lot of play between Elves and Miracles, but having an instant speed Wrath of God probably tipped it a little bit in the Miracles' favor. They easily 2-0'd my friend on Miracles, signed the match slip, got up and left. And I was just like, man, that is like the best story I've ever heard of someone that just like has control over their life. And they're like, I'm so confident I'm going to be late and still win. Uh, Don't be that person, but it's an awesome story. I was head judging. I head judged one Legacy Open. It's the one where uh, Alex Hatfield beat Ely Cassis in the finals in New Jersey. That was when Michael Posgay was on the SCG tour. And uh, I believe he was banned for cheating or maybe bribery, or I think it was bribery, actually. Uh, there's, there's a little shade on that name uh, in retrospect, but this was at the time he was grinding and Enchantress was a hot deck at the time. And he was absolutely one of these people who would show up seven minutes late or whatever and just like, oh, and not have his deck list written, just complete chaos. And he did that in this tournament and he received a game loss for round one. His opponent was like, uh, forest wild growth and he was like dude this is a mirror and i'm teched out in the main deck you should concede let's just go to game three we're gonna draw and the opponent was like basically kick rocks what are you talking about michael was not lying he had main deck words of wind or some shit that just snapped open the enchantress mirror 40 minutes later he won game one like it took forever and then they drew and that is in line with that story where it's like dude i'm tech for the mirror you should concede <laughs> so funny after just showing up seven minutes late without a deck list written and uh what a mess don't be that person so i i think i've got one more piece of advice for you and it's don't trust your opponent they do not have your best interest in mind and i'm gonna tell a story from this weekend um this this one is from my uh my good friend eliana who was given a technically correct answer to a question that left off vital information. So one of her opponents played a Dauntless Dismantler, which is a new card from Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And she asked, what does that card do? And the opponent stated the thing that was relevant at the time. And they said, oh, it's XX white, sacrifice it, destroy each artifact with mana value X. And that was the intention, why they had played that card, and that was all that was relevant to the game state at the time. Now, it gets to Eliana's turn, and Eliana casts, like, a a mana crypt or something like that. And then the opponent says, oh, that enters tapped. And she was furious. 
because Dauntless Dismantler has two different abilities, and she didn't read the card for herself. She instead just took the opponent at their word that the card did what they said it did. And she retold this story a whole bunch over the course of the day, kind of getting that lesson out there. Like, if you don't know a card, like, read the card. You, your opponent might not tell you everything that a card does. So before anyone goes out and tries this and gets themselves in trouble, there was a time where the Magic Tournament communication policy basically amounted to you can't lie about what a card does. You don't have to say all the text on the card, but you can't lie about what a card does. Uh, Cauldron Complete. What does that do? Oh, it's a 5-5 five, five with first strike. Okay, I'll chump block and trample. Take four, idiot. Like, that was just legal? Because you didn't lie. You just didn't tell the whole story? The first time I ever played against the card Show and Tell, I said, what does that do? And they said, it lets me put a creature from my hand into play. And I was like, oh, cool. And then they put in a Sundering Titan, and I did not put in whatever was in my hand. And I was like, wow, that's a really powerful card. And I just conceded the game. Read the card. Your opponent is not your friend. There was once a Pro Tour regular that tried to get me disqualified from an SCG Invitational because uh, we were playing. I was on the Epic Storm and they were on Maverick. I had one game one. Game two, I cast Dark Ritual and they're like, what does that do? And I said, adds three black. And they called the judge and tried to get me disqualified for misrepresenting what the card did because it costs one black. It's an instant. And then it adds three black. And they argued with the judge for minutes that I gave them false information. And ultimately, the judge was just like... Uh, adds three black anything else that was the uh end of that story they actually ended up winning that game and then the match which felt kind of bad but i was just like for the rest of time i was just like that person's scum yeah uh stuff like that is nonsense um and if somebody tries to do something like that to you uh, another way to reduce stress at a tournament is use judges and know how to interact with them present the information that is true and do it clearly and then the judge will probably make the correct ruling. And if you still disagree with it, you can appeal to the head judge. A judge call doesn't make you a jerk. If your opponent calls a judge, they're not a jerk. Don't freak out. Don't change your story. That's suspicious. Just like, yes, this is what happened. I said it adds three black. Literally the text of the card. Okay. And then the judge will handle your asshole opponent from there. Yeah, and note that there's not really a penalty for you calling a judge. Even if your judge call takes a couple of minutes, you will get a time extension. I was 95% sure I knew how an interaction worked this weekend, but it was kind of weird. Like, I wanted to check, hey, if I chrome box my Tivit and then I redirect it to the command zone, can I have my cake and eat it too and have it tap for mana while also moving my Tivit? And I was pretty sure that answer was no. I don't know the commander rules like the back of my hand, so I just wanted to double check. Also, Tivit's an artifact. Or no, he's not. I no. just looked Good. it up. It's not an oh, artifact. Right, 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 right. I was about to say the same no, thing. I actually, I was going to be sassy because Chromox specifically says non-artifact permanent because it's from a time when artifacts didn't have color. And it has tilted me off in the modern days that I can't like pitch a Thopter Foundry and get three colors out of a Chromox. Actually mad about that, by the way. There was a game at the Festival of Knights, which was a, a CEDH tournament where I set up a line based on I will have exactly enough mana and artifacts to go off with Tivit here, except I realized after I had committed to the line that I, I can't sack Tivit to time sieve and then recast him. I made that same fucking mistake on a stream the first time I played Tivit. <laughs> he looks like an artifact. He's a big Esper idiot like that poops out a bunch of artifacts. What's, what's he doing there if he's not made of metal? 
I've had a lot of opponents. Uh, so like they'll play a card that I'm like pretty sure I know what it does, but I'm like, I just, I, I just want to know how the interaction works. And I'll call judge. They're like, yeah, they're like, it clearly does this. I'm like, I don't know that. I'm just going to call a judge and ask. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. And they're like, you play a lot of magic online. Why don't you know this? Well, one magic online is infamously broken half the time. And two, I mean, I love magic online. This is not shade at it, but sometimes it just doesn't do things correctly. And two, I don't know if you're lying to me. Like there's no harm in calling a judge. I just wanted to circle back to that. There is a high level thing of like, uh, what's the text on natural order again? And like, maybe they like look at their hand real quick and you're like, gotcha. Like, even if you know the text is just sort of like a, do they look down to read the card? that you think is in their hand you should just call a judge and ask if someone puts gigantha in their hand from the command zone i will just hold on my hand and be like can i read gigantha like two turns later and uh, like nothing there is nothing lost or gained by them showing just handing me gigantha except like we saved some time it is fine if they said you should call a judge like whatever that's what that's part of what they're for so i guess as a final closing note here Please make sure you are maintaining homeostasis at your event. Have a plan for food, have a plan for water, using the bathroom, all that stuff. Because as stupid as it is to say, if you are not physically taking care of your body during the day, your mind is just not going to work as well as these events go long. And especially for those of you playing in an eternal weekend where you're playing two events back to back, it can really add up over the course of two days. Take care of yourself and like play the magic that you are capable of playing. I will co-sign that as Star City Pittsburgh's undefeated ninth place gamer.